Hey guys, so happy that you guys are back with us. So today's a very special episode because it's with my college roommate, Annabelle Vargas, and it was so ex I was so excited to see her, and she's gonna talk about being in a Latina sorority in, you know, a predominantly white university, and then on top of that, she actually brought the Latina sorority to the campus, so she's gonna chat about, like, the struggle she went through and how she made it happen. <laughs> go back to the beginning um when you were growing up what did you want to be and what did you study at university damn that's a bad question <laughs> <laughs> so when i was growing up i didn't have anything per se that i wanted to be and i kind of feel like i'm still that person because i'm somebody who's interested in a lot of things so i don't want to be stuck with one route but when i was younger everybody was like oh like i should go to law school and i was just like i'm not doing all that but when i was in college i changed my major like three times i think but it had to do a lot with myself, you know, learning what I wanted to do, but also with the institution and how they treated certain majors as compared to others. So I ended up graduating with an English major and a concentration in um, rhetoric. And what did you start off with? So I started off as a business major and then switched to photography and then did English. And now you're working in Manhattan. Do you want to talk a bit about that, what you, what you do? Day. Yeah, cool. Um, so I actually work for a startup company. We started in Paris. We're about like three years old there. We're a year old here now. And I work with photographers, videographers, and help to get acclimated with my company and just like how we do things. How do you like startup culture? Because I feel like a lot of times it's like known to be like fratty, you know, like the AirPods, the Allbirds, all yeah. that. So like, <laughs> is that how it is in yours? Or I mean, it started yeah. in Paris, so maybe not. A little bit of both because there are like a lot of international people actually. So there's a lot of different cultures, like even when it comes to the Latino and Hispanic demographic, it's not just like New York Latinos, so it's not Dominicans and Puerto Ricans. Yeah. It's people from Spain, it's people from Honduras, Chile, so far, so things like that, I feel like make it very diverse to office, but it does have a startup culture where like you can wear whatever you want, which I love because I do not like to dress up unless I have to. Yeah, so I, I love the whole like, I can go in sweats to work whenever I want. Oh yeah, nice. Yeah. So... Yeah, I know you grew up in Manhattan, so you want to chat a little bit about that? Yeah, so I was born and raised in Manhattan, Upper West Side. Um, I love Manhattan. I personally don't see myself living anywhere else, not because of not being aware of other places. You wouldn't even do, like, Brooklyn, Queens, none of it? No, nah, Manhattan got it all. Okay. We got the Bodegas 24-7. We got every train line that works. One in Brooklyn, you're struggling with the O train every 20 minutes on the weekends. Oh, I'm not yeah, doing no, that. <laughs> and we got Uptown. We got Dykeman. You can't find that anywhere else, so. Can you describe what Dykeman's like for someone who doesn't know? Dykeman. Um, I would say it's like. Yeah, you I don't know, even think we mentioned Dykeman in our. I don't in our think I've yeah. been. No, I've never oh been. no no no! I brought her once. You yeah. have been actually because I, oh. I saw you. Wait wait, wait where was it? Taboga. Taboga. Yes. yes. That's where <laughs> that was the first time I brought Christina to the Heights. Wow. Yeah, and I walk into the March place and there's a security. Yeah. And I have to go through the metal detector. <laughs> no, you didn't even have to. Because, you know, I feel like it's for show there, low-key. Sometimes, depends. Do you know why they have a metal detector? Well, it's more so I think because of, like, you know, climate. Like, you never know. People could end up bringing stuff in. They can get mixy um, there. Yeah, and at the end of the day, you want to make sure that your establishment is good before the police pull up and they're like, why did you let somebody in with this? Yeah. So it's to cover, like, their side, you know. Yeah, it makes yeah. sense. But Christina was very interesting. I saw her, oh my God, so we went in and I saw yeah. her story like two seconds later and I'm like, and she's like, this is my first time in the Heights. And then she's like, showing the metal detector. And I'm like, as you should. As I'm you like, should. oh my God, but no. Yeah. You so how would you describe yeah. what's that like? Dykeman, so 
Dykeman is a part of like the whole uptown culture. So you can write it up once you get uptown past 96. That's like my area of Oasa, you got Harlem. Then after that, you hit the Heights. The Heights is just, you know, the staple of Dominicans. Mm-hmm. Then inside that upper Manhattan area, you got Dykeman and Inwood. And a lot of people tend to not know the difference. So Dykeman in itself is a neighborhood in essence, but it's a street. It's Dykeman Street. Yeah, so you know how like people think of, I don't know, South Beach or whatever in Miami. Like, that's like the place you know in Miami. Yeah. When you're thinking about Uptown Manhattan and you're thinking about Dominicans and you're thinking about all the fun and stuff, you think of Dykeman. Because Dykeman is on and popping all year round. Like, there's not one part of the year where it's like, oh, it's whack. Like, no, you're going to find something to do there all year round. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And then what about Inwood? So, Inwood is in a little bit more of Manhattan, so it's like the end of Manhattan. So, you know how, let's say, you're trying to, like, go to the Bronx, there's a cutoff between Manhattan and the Bronx. Inwood is the part that keeps going up on Manhattan. So, I think it goes up to, like, 215, 20, like, I'm not that much, I actually hate it on it, but it's all the way up there. And have you seen, um, what's the preview to that new movie, In the Heights? Oh, I saw the preview, Okay, so what do you think about it? So, I'm excited for it. Okay, Because I got a chance to, like, see it on Broadway. Mm -hmm. Because, as we know, Broadway tickets are really expensive. Yeah. Um, Especially when (laughs) we were gone. We were, like, in college. So, I mean. No, yeah. And I was even looking at tickets, like, after we graduated. But, yeah. I was like, I'm not paying this. Um, Unless somebody takes me. But I'm really excited. Because I feel like it's going to bring a lot of momentum to the culture. And it's a different way of viewing things. Because I was actually looking at a movie from when I was younger. A documentary was around, like, 2005. It's called Mad Hot Ballman. And it's about, like, um, little kids in New York City public schools. And specifically, they come, there's some schools in the Heights, and they're learning how to, like, you know, after-school club, learning how to ballroom dance or whatever. But it was a big staple in um, Washington Heights. It was actually, I don't know if you've seen on 181st, with this old movie theater there, and it was a huge billboard. And the poster for that movie stayed there for years, even after they stopped playing. Oh, wow. So, like, I feel like this is the first time something is coming back in a while to that area. Got it. That represents yeah. the area as well. Mm-hmm. Nice. Uh-huh. Yeah, I heard a lot of mixed reviews. Like, some people were saying, like, oh, like, I don't like how they captured this and that. And I feel like at the end of the day, everyone's going to have opinions. But I do want to highlight, like, this is a Latina cast. Well, Latino, you know? Like, Latinx cast. And I think that's amazing. We don't normally get that. We often see, you know, white people playing us. So it's just nice to have some culture in it, like, actually there. No, exactly. And it's going to open doors for other films. You never know. Like you said, you grew up on the Upper West Side. Yes. What was it like being a Latina Dominican growing up in the Upper West Side? What's the culture like? Did you go to school with? all latinos or i know in yeah because i feel schools. like that's not necessarily the heights you know no yeah so the upper west side is its own type of vibe um what people think about the upper west side they think about like lincoln center central park all that and yes that is like central park is literally like three blocks away from me that's my backyard then i have Riverside park on the other end which is like by the hudson but we still got the projects up there like the more uptown you get in the upper west side is the more of like you know, the more culturally, I guess, it's more aligned with the rest of Uptown Manhattan. So, like, you know, there's this joke that they have. I don't know if it's still prevalent because they have gentrification. But yeah. they're like, you all the way people get off on 96th Street. On the train stop, that's it. They don't go more south. I but now, now they're going more up. Oh, damn. <laughs> now you see them and you're like, how have you not like, gotten, wait, that's not Why are you still here on 125th? <laughs> yeah. Like, I even, see, I even see them um, in the Heights. Mm-hmm. I see, like, you know, like, in their sweat and their, you know, chocolatas walking yeah. around to the store real quick. And I'm like, wait, well, you look comfy to be hanging out here. Like, yep. oh, no, no, they live there. So, yeah. it's basically everywhere. So, do you go to school with mainly, like... So, when I was in elementary school, I did elementary, like, the typical first to, what is it, eighth grade. Mm-hmm. It was more people of my demographic. 
So, like, people from, like, African-American descent, Hispanic, Latino. Um, but when I went to high school is when it actually switched up. So I went to a high school in the West Village, and it was a all-girls private school. And it was about 300 people in the whole school. Oh, very so, small. Very, very small. Like, per class, it was about 70 of us. Mm-hmm. And that already was, like, the most was, like, Italians. There's some Polish, some Russians. And then you had, like, the little pocket of minorities. Like, they would, we would literally call ourselves, like, the minorities. But it wasn't a negative connotation. It was just, like, yeah. we were doing our own thing. And we loved it. Because it was, like, you still had your people there no matter what. So I guess I got more exposed to it when I started getting older. But I never felt, like, weird or out of place being surrounded by so many people from, like, all, like a Caucasian background. Because they were my friends at the end of the day. Yeah, and exactly. being in such a small school, you can't help but be friends with these people. Like, you grow a bond. Exactly. So going into college, you kind of already prepped for it. Yeah, so I think my experience with going into college was very different as compared to somebody who didn't have that upbringing, mm-hmm. because somebody who is from like my you know ethnicity background and stuff, they might have felt more out of place at a school like college compared to I did. Okay. And also it depends on your personality as well and your character. Like mm-hmm. if you're somebody who's more susceptible to certain things, and I'm somebody who's very nonchalant. At the end of the day, it's like I'm gonna have my social life regardless, yeah. no matter where I'm at. So. Yeah, I feel like, at, um, Christina, do you feel the same way? Like, do you feel comfortable at Hofstra? Like, was it a culture shock? No. for Well, I'm from Long Island, so Hofstra... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was the same situation. <laughs> I'm fine, but I know that Eliza had a, a different experience. It was her first time being in a classroom where she wasn't... Where she may have been the only Latina. Yeah. I'm like, well, from that's me, like, me growing up all the time. When I was in high school, I was the only Latina. I was known as, like, the short Latina girl. <laughs> oh, my God, they added the short yeah. part. Yeah, the short Latina girl. Oh, my friend. Christina, which one? The short Latina? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. I love her. Oh, my God. So that was me. Um, so at Hofstra, it was like, well, same thing. Um, so I love hearing from you. I loved always. That's how I connected to Eliza. She talked about being Latina. And then when we talked about doing this podcast, she had such a different, um, I don't know, I guess experience at Hofstra. And like, her mind opened up and all these things yeah. and Same I was like, like oh people. I never saw it that way I literally yeah. thought only Italians and Albanians exist like I didn't know like you know all these other yeah like, I didn't Caucasian know yeah I was like what? what like what's going on but also I think it's because like Hofstra's huge with international students as well exactly so that helped like people being like athletes and stuff like that they came from other places and stuff yeah you were meeting Europeans Jewish a lot I mean I guess that's the point of college right to broaden your no yeah exactly horizons so what how you came up with the idea to want to be in a Latina sorority? How did that come about? Um, did you even, like, try to maybe join a sorority that was already on campus? Because I know bringing a sorority is a huge, you know, thing yeah. to do. How did that process come? Like, what was the thought process with that? So, like, first and foremost, how we already explained, how should the predominantly white institution. So, even if I was somebody who wasn't shocked by that, I was still aware of it. I wasn't ignorant to that fact. Um, first and foremost... From a multicultural perspective, Hofstra is not a great Greek organization type of school. It's not one of those. Like, when you think about the Sunni schools, like the Albany, the Stony Brook, and all that, Hofstra is nothing when it comes to that, yeah. when it comes to that social climate. So, I feel like I was somebody who was used to having a big social life. Like, I was always in the mix, always doing something. And being at a school like Hofstra, that's what made me feel out of place. The fact that I was just like, where's the fun, you know? I was getting the academics good. Like, that's fine. My GPA was fine. I never had to worry about that. But I was just like, college is more than just going to class. I personally always felt that way. Especially being somebody who dorm. It's like, you have to make the most out of it. Um, 
So that was one, like, I was yearning for that. Then on top of that, when it came to Greek life specifically, I got more exposed to it because of the friends that I already had that were in it. And I saw how much fun they were having, and I was just like, okay, cool. Like, I remember my freshman year, I was, what was it that we were living in? Enterprise. No, it was before I moved in with you. It was actually in Constitution. Oh, I got yeah. Oh my yeah. So oh, yeah. So in Constitution, this is my first like few months freshman year or whatever, <laughs> and yeah, I had a you know very unique roommate experience. Whatever. Um, it's above me now. And I remember I was going to my room and I got off of my floor and all I hear is like a bunch of like bachata. Then I'm like, what the? What is going on? Like this is not hostile, right? And then I see some kid outside the elevator. Um, his name is Joel. He has like a red cup in his hand, you know. He's like, "Oh, you want some?" I'm like, "What should we do? I want some." Like, I'm not gonna take a drink, some dude. I don't know. And he started talking to me, and he's like, "Oh, that Romeo," and I'm like, "Oh, I'm why like, is it the minute he said that, she's like, "Oh, I'll have a sip." Now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, That's I'm like, like oh, because like once it's your people, it's like, ah, uh, you know, whatever. It's that connection, exactly. Yeah. So then started getting cool with him. Like me and all my friends started integrating and stuff for like this demographic, and he was actually he is part of a fraternity that was on Hofstra's campus. And then when my group of friends and his group of friends got together and stuff, he even mentioned himself. He's like, you know, I feel like Hofstra is lacking your group's, like, I guess, flavor, you know? There's nothing like that here. So in conversation with him, he brought up to us, like, Latinos words. He's like, look, like, look at him. We were just like, all right, cool, we'll do it. Um, we did, and he connected us with some people, and from there on, it was magic. Like, it just happened. But I'm sure the process wasn't as easy. There's a lot of work yeah. that we did. <laughs> You were kind of the one that took initiative, and you had friends that were behind you supporting you. But what is the process like? I mean, you got connected to someone, but mm. the documents, how long oh, did yeah. it take? Also, like, maybe when you started to when it actually was on campus. Also, like, maybe the recruiting process, because, you know, like you said, Latinas are a very small population. Yeah. Like, how were you able to gather that group of people? Yeah, so I think that process was very, very long. I feel like it was the chunk of my college career actually just even trying to establish a chapter like after i had already like crossed and became part of the chapter i feel like that flew by but the before that was like stressful day in day out but it was also fun so i know like when i think about it i think the most fun i did have as an undergrad was when i was just somebody who was interested because that's when the passion was really there and it's just like you really want something you're going after it but, so, in regards to, like, my sorority, um, Lemon Theta Alpha Lang Sorority Incorporated, and they have a very specific way as to how they go about things, and then Hofstra University has a very specific way. So, both have to align and match up and be like, yes, I want you. That's to be neutral. If one says no, then that's it. It's over. So, within that process, you have to get the sorority to be like, okay, I'm even interested in being a part of this campus, and then you have to get Hofstra to be like, I want the sorority on the campus. And that comes with a lot of things such as, like, mentioned demographic. So... Like, LTA is not going to be at a campus where they don't see that there's viable growth. They're not going to be somewhere where they're just like, okay, yes, it's a predominantly white institution, as are many, even if they don't present themselves that way. But is there going to be any obstacles here? How are you guys going to recruit? How are you guys going to do that? So it took us being able to prove that. So I remember when I was interested, more so, I don't think the recruitment was the hardship. It was more the retention. So you can recruit people for anything in life. But are they going to stay interested? That's the thing. And when it came to my organization, I've realized over time, it's not about just the people who are interested in the people who you attract, it's the people who are going to put in the work. So somebody might be interested in something, but are they going to be that person who lasts because they realize it's going to take a little bit more effort than something else? 
So I always think of it as that, like, even now, being a sister part of the organization, even though I'm on this side, I can still see how somebody on the other side who's just, like, just, like, primarily interested might be like, this is a little bit too much work for me. So it takes somebody who has the patience and who wants to do it. Because then they, throughout that process, you might even realize, this isn't for me. Did you ever feel like this wasn't for you? Like, what kept you motivated throughout the whole process? Because it sounds like you had a lot of paperwork to do. You're yeah. telling me that you had to get two parties to agree. Like, how do you feel? How do you maintain that motivation? That um, So, I think going into college, I was never interested in Greek life. Like, that was not my thing. Like, even people now that I meet out there, they're like, oh, you're in sorority. They're like, what? Like, you in a sorority? Because I guess I don't present myself as, like, the typical, quote-unquote, sorority girl, you know? But... I think that all changed when I met the sisters in my organization. So when I was interested and they were in it, it was just like, if you're going this hard for something, there has to be a reason you're doing this. Like, there has to be a reason. So I want to know what that reason is. And I'm going to go hard and do whatever I have to do to get to that side so I can finally figure out what it is. Like, what is it that's motivating you to continue being in this organization, continue being involved? I met sisters who were sisters for like 10 years, and I'm like, how are you still involved in this? Like, you a grown woman, like, <laughs> a husband, a husband, and you still yeah. in there. Like, there has to be a reason why. Yeah. And they're not cutting you a check. It's not like you're getting paid for this. So there right, has to right. be a reason why. So I think seeing somebody that invested and seeing various people like that was like, okay, there's a reason for this. Because I see people in other organizations that once they graduate, they are involved for maybe, let's say, one or two years, but after that, the spark dies. It's like, what keeps the spark alive? So being surrounded by people like that definitely motivated me. And then also knowing that it would be the only Latino organization on campus, that was an ego boost then. It's like, okay, if somebody's going to try to join something when, if and when we do get established, I'm going to be hype. Like, yo, I made this happen. You know, it's not some regular stuff that was just already there. Like, I know the passion behind it. Therefore, the people that I'm going to look for are the people who have that passion or mirror it to some extent. So how do you feel when you cross the finish line? You did it. Actually, so when Actually, I crossed... Yeah, yeah, like, I have two comments. Yeah. Like, how do you feel when you got the okay? Yeah. And how do you feel when you cross the finish line? You know, like, actually, like, being a sister after, you know, going through the process. But yeah. getting that okay, I yeah. mean, that's a that's a big one. So I think when we got the okay, like, okay, you can move forward and do what you got to do to be a part of this organization, I was hyped because I was like, finally, something's tangible. Like, I see something happening. And then also, like... It wasn't an easy process, not just because of the organization and Hofstrom, but it's also because at the end of the day, people talk. And people see that you're doing something that they're not doing, and they're very interested. People are nosy. They want to know, why are you doing that instead of just joining what's already here? So there was a lot of negativity. There was a lot of people just like, um, you know, we have organizations. There were multicultural organizations on campus. And for them, it's like, okay. But they weren't Latina. Is that what it was? It, that's not what it was, honestly, because they have Latino members. So there were a lot of, um, they were mostly the United Organization, and there was, I think, one other multicultural organization at the time, so where he was. And they have Latino members, and I feel like that's what worked for them, but I didn't feel like that was enough for me. Yeah, and I feel like it's not only about the Latino part. I feel like it's a reason you picked LTA. It's about the organization. What does that organization represent to you? Yeah, so even our model is like Latin by tradition, not by definition. Uh, one of my line sisters, she's Haitian descent. I have another line sister who's Indian. I have another line sister who has Guyanese. Yeah. It's not about the Latina demographic, but I think every chapter is different at every school, and the way that you present yourself is what's going to attract people. I didn't feel like the people who were already on this campus was like something that I wanted to be a part of. So if I saw a sorority, like, okay, cool, you're wearing your letters. What else are you doing? 
how are you being monumental on campus? At the end of the day, if you're graduating and I don't see you coming back, I don't see your alumni coming back, why are they not coming back? Because at the end of the day, when it comes to me and my line sisters, we still at Hofstra and people are like, do you guys still go here? Because we're always supporting because it is a lifelong commitment. And I didn't feel that energy from other organizations and that's something that I wanted to be a part of. Yeah, and I feel like that's very fair. So you got that okay. You have people, you know, chit-chatting, not really yeah. knowing what's going on and wanting to know the deets. Yeah. And when you finally was able to give them the deets, you guys have something called a probate. Do you want to explain yeah. the words or is it called something else? I know it's been a while. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so every organization has like their own um, thing. So a probate is something that exists, but in my organization, we do new member presentation. So when we are like showcased to our campus, um, like I said, it's a new member presentation and it's us showing everything that we worked for. And once it's over, you know, we take off that hoodie, I got my letters on, and I'm there. Um, a probate is when somebody's still undergoing their orientation process, and it's kind of like they're just showing what they've done so far, but they're not done yet. So, but that moment, that that was crazy for me. Like, when it was my number of presentation, I was just like, wow. And it was also, like, one of the coldest days on campus because it ended up being, like, December 1st. It went from November 30th to December 1st, and I was just freezing, like, okay, like, I want to put a sweater on right now. But with the adrenaline rush and everybody cheering you on, it's just like, you're here to show out, you know? Yeah. I feel like, I, I was actually there, and yeah. I just felt like it's such like an amazing feeling. Is it like, outside? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, it, yeah was it was outside. outside yeah. It was outside, and like, I just felt like it was just like such like this high energy and the girls are there and like you low key haven't seen them in forever because they were studying so much, doing work, you know, um, just putting in that effort to learn everything about the organization. Yeah. So when you finally saw them and you saw them like come out with their letters, it was just like inspiring and nice and um they also gave respect to other organizations yeah, on campus beforehand, definitely. so that, that was also very interesting because I'd never seen another organization do that on campus. Yeah. Um, in terms of like Panhellenic and stuff like mm -hmm. that, so that was pretty cool. So I wish yeah. you could have been there, Chris. <laughs> no, it was definitely crazy. Our organization that like, we're very, very big on respect. Um, mm -hmm. so one of the things that we do that use that's unique to us is saluting, and the reason that we do this is to pay respect to just everybody in general who came before us. But one thing that's unique to us is that we don't step, and we do that in deference to the non organizations like the African American Black, like Black Creek Letter organizations, because that's their thing, and we want to pay homage to them. So we salute and we struggle. We do not stop. Okay. Awesome. And is this something you learn throughout, um, I guess, the process and stuff? You learn all that info? Yeah, so you learn all the information. But there's some things, too, even before you start your process that you should know. Because if you're interested in something, you should be able to tell somebody why is it that you're interested. Mm -hmm. So I'm interested because you do this, this, and that, and I want to be doing this, this, and that. Okay, got it. So now you're on campus. You yeah. did it. You feel good. You had the whole presentation. Your organization now, like, it's no more, like, chasing and, you know, running yeah. for it. You grabbed it. How was that, like, accommodating to the culture? Because if I'm not mistaken, there's different councils um, per, like, certain sororities. Like, yeah. I know there's, like, Penn Hill, and I know D9 has a council. You guys didn't really have your original council there, or you had to, like, what What was the deal? Because you're the first Latina sorority yeah. in a long time at Hofstra University. So where did you squeeze in? Like, yeah. So they have, um, it's three councils. I think they made four, actually, now at Hofstra. Okay. They have, like, a random one. They're not. But so there's, like, Panhellenic, there's IFC, and then they group all the multicultural ones together. It's called MFSC. And is that because, like, it's, like, a little bit of multicultural sorority? So that's basically why it is, because out of the multicultural fraternity sorority council, there's not that many. Mm -hmm. So there are some D9s, there's some multicultural, and there's, like, the Latino, Latino ones. But in total, it's not 
big compared to the IFC in Panama. So I'm guessing on the administration side, it's just a way to like organize things. Got it. And I'm, our organizations can relate more. Mm. It makes sense. Yeah, it definitely makes sense. So, because in other schools, it's the same thing. Yeah, so yeah. when you went to like that first meeting, just like how was it on campus? I know like you have to start programming, you have mm-hmm. to start recruitment all over again. Like how was that being new on campus? I think being new on campus was different. It was a very different experience. Um, if I would have done a different organization, I would have had a different experience too because I would have came into something that was established. Exactly. Being a founder of a chapter is a job in itself because you have to establish a chapter and then you got to build up the chapter that you established. So you have no blueprint. You don't have anybody there to like guide you and tell you this is what you do. Did you have out. like? Did you have? I guess sisters from nearby university give yeah. me a hand. Yeah, definitely. So we have um, chapters nearby. So we have Stony Brook University, which is not that far out. And then we have St. John's University. And we also have our alumni chapter that's for New York in general. So they're all over. And luckily, like, my PM, she lives five minutes from campus. What's a PM? So, <laughs> yeah, uh, PM is a pledge mistress. She's the one who will help guide us throughout the process. And my assistant pledge mistress, she lives in Cambria Heights in Queens. So she was, like, a 20-minute drive. So at least we had them. So if we had any type of like dire need, they was there on campus. Like they'll drive to us. So like I had mentioned before, like seeing that passion and stuff, that didn't die out when I crossed. Like I saw that when me and my license were on campus and we were doing our thing. If we needed help, they was there. If we needed bodies, they were there. Yeah. Nice. So do you ever feel like, you know, you didn't belong on campus or do you feel like you guys squeezed in like a glove, like right in? Yeah, I would love to know if, I don't know, I wasn't in Greek life in college, mm-hmm. but if sororities with multicultural or any other sororities if they do any collaborations or work together during events that are campus-wide? Yeah, so we definitely do work together. I think what my chapter, what we wanted to do different that we hadn't seen before was actually work with those organizations that weren't part of our camps, uh, part of our council, sorry. Um, that was one of our biggest initiatives because we saw that there was a drift. Like, for some reason, these councils were just not getting together and we wanted to improve that. Because what's the point of bringing something new if it's not going to do different things? If we're going to do the same things as other organizations, we should have just joined those. But we're here to make changes. So we did do programs at um, IFC organizations, all of that, and it helped expose them to us and us be exposed yeah. to them. We love the collaborations, but like transparently speaking, it did take education for them to understand what we were about. Like I remember my first, it wasn't Meet the Greeks, it was just like a big club for that happened at the beginning of the semester every year. Um, that was like our first tabling. And me and my last sister saluted there. And I remember them being like other organizations and they're just looking at us and they were like, why are you so angry? And I'm just like, I'm not mad. <laughs> they didn't understand that it was part of the culture. Yeah, they didn't understand that that's one of our traditions. So afterwards, like we had to explain it. But I wasn't mad at it. Like I'm, I'm very fond of educating people. Wait, I actually brought one of my sorority sisters to um, Annabelle's like new member celebration. Mm-hmm. What is a new member presentation? Presentation. <laughs> I said okay, my bad. But um, her new the new member um presentation, and I just remember her being like, "What is this?" Like she one um this is for you, Alexis. Sorry, but like one she had. Oh no! Yeah, it was Alexis. Yeah, it was Alexis. Like Alexis is the best. And yeah. so she came, 
and that's in the same semester as yeah, me. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And I like dragged her and I was like, Alexis, like come, like you're yeah. gonna like love it. Um and she absolutely yeah. loved it, but I like I'm not gonna lie, it was such a culture shock for her. Like she didn't know those type of sororities like existed. Cause yeah. you know, we're in Pan Hell and like it was just, you know, it's Pan Hell. It's like you go through recruitment, you go through rounds, yeah. you get a big, you get a little, you have a process, boom, you're in. You know, it's a whole you know, it's very different, it's different cultures. So when we were there, she also um I remember when Annabelle shouted like A Fi out, she was like, They just she, just like shot it up. Like, <laughs> like that's kind of cool. Like she didn't yeah. understand the respect, like anything. So can you it was can you so describe nice. those differences? Because I don't know either. So what are some of the you know top two differences between Panhel and others? Well, I think for like, us, yeah, there's a lot. Yeah, I don't think, and like I don't think we have time to list them. Um, but just like the main ones, the main ones, main ones yeah. I think our recruitment processes are very very different. Okay. And I saw that while I was undergoing my orientation process because. Hofstra had implemented this whole like emerging Greek leaders class thing that they wanted everybody from the semester to be there. So it was every council together. And I remember like me and my line sisters, we were there, you know, like doing our thing, whatever. And then other organizations were there and we had something like this bingo thing to like get to know one another. It was like an icebreaker thing. And one of the things was find a member from a multicultural um, organization. And we were the only people from that semester technically part of that so everyone was like a top so yeah. coming up to us and i remember just saying like i'm not part of a multicultural organization they're like what do you mean i don't get it and i was like i'm not done with my process therefore i'm not part of this yet and for them when we had to find somebody who was like hey how are I? so they're like oh maybe me because they consider themselves very a part of it as soon as they started their process okay I feel like, yeah, I feel like that definitely is one of the biggest differences. I know, like, we get to let wear our letters, like, a little beforehand than yeah. you guys. Um, we also get, like, we have, like, a thing called, like, bid day. I don't know if you guys have bid day. No. Um, how do you invite your members? Like, if you're recruiting, like, a group of girls, how do you invite them to join the process? So, we do have informationals, which are open to the public, but specifically to people who aren't already part of a um, Greek organization, unless you're part of, like, a professional one. Because, you know, like, Hofstra and a bunch of those, like, oh, yeah, the true. law frats, all of that. So if you're part of that, that's fine. But you have to be somebody who's not part of already, like, a social organization. And we have informationals. We put them on our social media. People come. They learn about our chapter specifically. And then from there on, it's up to them, you know? Yeah, I agree. I feel like um, those are, like, the main differences. But another one is I feel like pan hell, like, once you graduate. And I can be wrong for any other, you know, pan hell girl out there, but... I feel like once you graduate, you graduate and you kind of like leave it. Like it's not, you know, it's not the norm for you to come back and like help out with the chapter. Like maybe you're come from homecoming, yeah. hang out with the girls, but it's not something like you continue. I feel like, um, I, I know your sorority just watching you. I feel like it's a strong commitment. It's really yeah. is forever. And I know we say it's not, you know, it's four years and above, but I feel like I really see that with your yeah. organization. You was even saying how you're still coming back. And yeah, you're visiting constantly. So yeah, that's I'm actually good. going out Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> graduation, yeah. Exactly, like, but um, so that's really nice. Why do you think that is? So I think that can be because of like the gushy whatever sisterhood aspect, obviously, mm-hmm. but it comes down to a reality as yeah. well that our organizations don't have as many members as other organizations. So we make that commitment. Once you put those letters on, you know it's a lifelong commitment because you're probably gonna have to come back and help in some way or some form. So like right now for this academic year, we have three undergraduates. Um, two of them are on campus right now, and then one of them is studying abroad. So technically we have two. Yeah. Two of them are graduating on Thursday. So then next semester we're only going to have one. So having that pressure on one person is just like, that's a lot to run a whole chapter. Of course. So we make ourselves available. We're just like, we divide things up. We have a calendar of events for the semester. Like, who's going to what? Mm-hmm. Who's helping her with this? Who's helping her with that? And we plan ahead of time. Um, 
but that's kind of like the sad reality as to why we go back. But if we didn't have the passion in the first place, we wouldn't go back either. Like, just because something has, like, low members, some people might be like, okay, that's not enough of a reason. For us, it's like, no, it's we do not. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Especially being a founder, it's like, how I look, not going back to something that I hope start. Exactly. Yeah. You don't want to leave behind something you worked so hard. Also, especially you, your founding sister. It's like, yeah. how does it, you know, like, you want yeah, it to continue that would be to foul. Like, and, like, just strong yeah. and everything. I'm being, like, hypocritical, I feel like, to an extent. Like, how am I going to be practicing all these things about this organization mm-hmm. through my chapter, and then I don't go back and help? What would you tell a girl who's, like, in the same predicament you were, I guess, like, oh, my God, we're getting old, I guess, like, six years ago. Um, <laughs> yeah. We're in the same predicament as you, like, and she wants to bring, like, a Latina sorority to her campus. Yeah, I yeah what's, say, like, one piece of advice you give her that she wouldn't, she wouldn't need? Okay, I feel like everybody else would probably say, like, oh, my God, follow your dreams, follow your heart. <laughs> no, I think what I would say is be realistic. Okay. Um, scope out your campus. Is it viable to be here? Are you actually going to put in the work necessary? Do you have people to help you? And if all those questions align, then great, go for it. But also, don't beat yourself up over anything and don't overextend yourself or stress yourself out to the extent that you're not putting your academics first. So that's something that I love about my sorority. Like, we're academic sorority first, before mm-hmm. anything. Our, like, grade point average is actually, like, the requirements higher than Hofstra's grade average. Nice. Because at the end of the day, that's what you're here for. You're spending all this money in school. We know college is not cheap at all. That's what you should be putting first, the academics. So if your academics are going to come in because of this pursuit, I don't think it's for you. Okay, got it. So I think what you're saying is a lot of time management and just being, like, realistic yeah. of it. And, you know, like like you said, like, it was a huge chance you were taking when you decided to bring the sorority yeah. on. It could, like, Hofstra has said no, LTA has said no. Yep. So keeping your expectations into, you know, a medium. What do you, do you say that? Expectations to ease? Expectations. Like having like level expectations. Level expectations. Like, no, like, sorry, guys. Sometimes I make up phrases. Um, <laughs> I understand. Yeah, I'm sorry. I just love seeing your Instagram, and you're always out in the yeah. city, and you're like going to all these like I don't know. Just I think it's really nice because you're always around like Latinas when you're going out, or yeah. just like it's very vibrant and fun. And sometimes that's hard to find. I know a lot of people who move to the city sometimes are looking for that New York and they don't know where to find it because they go to bars or restaurants and it's not the type of music they're looking for. So I feel like you're just like, you know, the ins and outs, all the good (laughs) spots. So if you can give us some tips or like some best places to go out in the city, places that you go out to that you would recommend to others, what would they be? So I think that's very true. Like, you have a very valid point, but I think it's because the people who end up moving here, they don't really know what New York is. When they think of New York, they're thinking about downtown, flashy New York. Mm-hmm. If you're trying to have a vibe and be around your people, you gotta go to town. Like, you have to experience some yeah. town because okay. that's where the demographic is. I was just talking to a girl today um, who used to work in my last job, and she's from Miami, and she yeah. was, like, telling me, she's like, I miss home. Like, I feel like I'm not feeling it here. Like, New York is okay, and I was like, you ever been uptown? She's like, huh? I'm like, Washington Heights. She's like, no. I'm like, let me take you. And then I want to see if you think that. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's like, yeah. Like, you know what people think? You know, everybody's brunching now. That's a big bridge or yes. whatever. And like, brunch is realistically supposed to be from like, let's say 11 to 2. That's brunch. You go uptown, brunch is till 2 in the morning. I think Christina and I went there. <laughs> like, we went. I went <laughs> And it's the type of brunch that you're like, am I going to have to take over work? on Monday yeah. because oh yeah yeah I know 
Like when I brought Christina for the first time, like I wasn't even. I, I'm telling you, I wasn't even looking at my phone. That's how much fun I was having. Yeah. I got there at like twelve o'clock. I looked at my phone. It was seven p.m. I was and like, it went by like this. It went by like that. Like we were having so much fun. Everyone's nice. We're vibing. It's a, you know at the end of the day, like you never get to listen to your music in the city. Like no, you know it's hard to find a place to play reggaeton yeah. and like etc. Like they're just playing all the hits. You're with all your friends. Like why would you want to leave? No, exactly. I think it just takes somebody getting out of their little downtown Manhattan bubble, and even some parts of Brooklyn, to be honest, because to keep it a buck, like yeah. Williamsburg and stuff like that, that's not where you're going to get the vibe. Mm-hmm. Maybe very specific places, mm-hmm. but if you want that, like, Latino, Hispanic, and it's very, it's like the Puerto Rican, Dominican vibe or whatever, because, you know, like, Queens has its own type of vibe. Yeah, like, I Astoria feel, is different. I know? feel like it's more South American, and mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, uptown is, like, Caribbean. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would love to, like, know the differences, too, between Astoria and then uptown. Yeah, I think Astoria is more like the South American, Central American. You can even see in like the food, like you'll Mm -hmm. see like more like um, papusas. Yeah, like the papusas. But even like, it's like a lot of Arabs out there too, so that's why like, you know, the hookah, like Steinway and all that. People swear Dominicans want to create a hookah, like, no. I know. (laughs) I mean, Dominicans y'all taking it. I was about to say that, you know, yeah. Wait, wait, wait. Who created the hookah? Do we know? The Middle Eastern. Middle Eastern. Yes. Yeah, but also, I mean, I'll, I'll take the credit regardless because I do have a Middle Eastern background as well. Okay. So, so I she's just like, hookah down. I mean, nah, nah, I give that, I give that like, style up because okay. at the end of the day, like, nah, hookah's bad for you. Okay. That, that's one thing that you're saying, hookah's bad for you. <laughs> but nah, I think uptown is just, it's, you gotta prepare yourself for it. Like, you can't just be like, I'm gonna go to brunch and just chill. Like, if you're going up there, you know what you're going for. I literally like, have to that. tell my friend Shakira, I'm like, we have to drink four cups of water. And she's yeah. like, what? And I'm like, four cups of water. We need to eat some bread right now. Maybe like a sandwich. Let's grab one real quick. Because if you don't pace yourself and like hydrate yourself, you won't make it. Though. But that's a good thing. You're going to find food everywhere. You're yeah. going to find cachapas right there, chimney truck. Like, you're not going to go hungry out there. Yeah, that's one so thing. So you're able to pace yourself, definitely. So yeah, we need reps. We have a whole bunch of people who like, listen, they're new to New York. They may have moved from like Texas, LA, and they're not finding that vibe that they thought they would in New York. So do you have any, you know, places in particular you recommend them hitting? Let's see. I would say my friends, they do this amazing brunch in Taboga every nice. Sunday called Top Brunch. That one's buffet style. You know, you do your thing that you eat. Mm-hmm. And they have a day party that starts like around 536-ish. So you can stay for the whole day. Do they have to like book a reservation or can they just... So yeah, in? so they can do both. Like walk-ins mm-hmm. or book a reservation. I would say book a reservation is like a bigger party, obviously, because yeah. it is like on and popping. Like if you're on social media, like, you know, there's such thing like on Twitter. There's like Uptown Twitter. If okay. you're part of Uptown Twitter, you know Tobogas every Sunday. Like, okay. you know that's where it, where it is. Thursdays and Sundays, that's where it's at. That's where I took you. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I was like, I, I, know. I did it. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> like, I don't know. I just feel like Uptown's a very different vibe. But, you know, I won't knock the other places in the city. They do have their mm-hmm. things, too. But also because, like you said, like, I'm somebody who's in the mix. I have a lot of friends. And I have friends who are in very specific career fields. I have friends who are, like, the promoters, DJs, this and that. So I feel like... My social media is always filled with flyers. Like, it's like, okay, come here this day. And I'm just like, okay, cool. It's filled with stuff like, you know, like the Pizza Zoo, the 9 a.m. Banger, like stuff like that. So I think the city has a lot of things to do. You just got to know. And it's, you're right. It's like, how do you know? Yeah, it's yeah, hard. Yeah, you know, if you're not from here. Because I'm pretty sure, like, yeah, I'm Latina. If Latina, you, if like, you try to, I remember when my friend, she's like, I'm going to go somewhere. She's not from here, but yeah. she's really into Latin music. And she types in, like, Latin club, Latin bar. And she goes oh, to, like, tourist like, yeah. place in Times Square. And I'm like... 
I don't think you should go there. <laughs> well, I'm like, I don't think. And then you go and it's like not really people your age. It's older people. People trying to dance Spanish yeah. music. I mean, the high looking uptown for. has older people though. Don't they say do. No, I was I was at Brooklyn. No, it's a mix. Sunday, and I saw some abuelitas up there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Living their best life. Last time I was there, you know how they have the birthday balloons with the number? It's oh, like yeah. 42 proud. 42. Yeah. yeah. She was like, mm-hmm. she I was should. like, is that 24? And then I looked at the table and I was like, that's 42. As they should. As they should. You should have stopped once you get older. Exactly. Who said you got to be home with the kids? No, yeah. Like, no. Live your best life. Have you heard of Caribbean Social Club? I feel like I have, but I don't know too much about it. Okay. Because that's yeah. a place that we... A lot so, Maria I, actually took me. So, Anna okay. knows her. Yeah. And she took me there and, like... Because I was, like, telling her, you know, I, I live in Queens now. So, I was basically, oh, like... Oh, that you crazy. I'm like, uptown's a hike. Like, I'm trying to find something a little more nearby. She's like, hey, there's a place in Brooklyn 20 minutes from your house. Cool. So, we go and it's basically, like, a little piece of the Heights in that's Brooklyn. That's fire. In so, Williamsburg. That's, that's yeah. what I said. They got the little pockets up in there. They have the little pockets, but... It's definitely the only place I found. Yeah. So, so I just went for the first time over the weekend, but I brought in. It was like a mix of people: yeah. some Latinas, some white people. Oh, oh. And some people like walked out. I had some people who walked in and walked right back oh, really? out, and they were like, "This is not for me." But based off of what, like the music, the fun, um, I think what everything. Was it? it was everything. Great. Like when you know uptown, so it was very like the music was, you know, it's a tiny loud as hell. Loud yeah. music, and then on top of that, the people. It was all people of color in there. And super. So I think tiny. sometimes people get sometimes you know. Yeah. It was very crowded. I could tell it was quite hot. I yeah. was wearing a sweater. I was wearing. I was at a Christmas party, so I was wearing a Christmas sweater. That's how you know you don't want to go. So somewhere. I didn't know. Like, I, I couldn't go there. I just. I'm the type like if I'm going to a party or I'm going to a function, yeah. if nobody's dancing, I don't want to be there because why am I there? For that you can be yeah. home. Mm-hmm. No, Do your little karaoke at home. Yeah, exactly. If you're going out, I feel like you should be going out to be social. If not, I agree you know? because honestly, like I get bored, like just mm-hmm. like sitting in a bar, one mm-hmm. person. Like I can do it for like if I'm catching up with a person. Yeah, that works. Oh, weekday type of thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I feel like the weekend, like you wanna, you wanna vibe. Especially if you're working full time, the weekend is the time to do that. Because exactly. the weekends we do not have the energy. So I was turning up. I was just telling um Christina. I always find it funny because like you know. You know, as people of color, we're always the minority in most places. Like, yeah. we go to work, most of the time we're the minority. We go to school, depending yeah. where you go, most of the time you're minority. And then it's like, when, when you see, out, like, you know, when you see a white person walk into a place that's all people of color, like, you can what? see the fear. You can, like, see the, like, now nah, I'm good, I'm out. No, you but know? also, I do want to highlight the fact that sometimes there's still Hispanic Latinas. Well, Latino, whatever, like, male and Latinx. But. <laughs> yes. They're whitewashed, so okay, got it. they're like you know they don't know about their culture as well. So there's like there's a very big difference between somebody who's let's say Puerto Rican and somebody from Spain. Mm-hmm. They have two very different outlooks when it comes to like the Latino culture, the Hispanic culture. So at the end of the day, if you see somebody who's you know blonde hair, blue eye, very like light skinned and stuff, and they're white passing, they might be more comfortable with that culture because they're white passing. Got it. As compared to somebody who's on like you know. On the darker side and stuff, they feel more comfortable, let's say, with like the African American demographic here. Yeah. So even though somebody might look right, they're not actually right, but they might be taking that culture just because of how they look. And then they walk into a place like you're saying, like Caribbean social, and they're like, mm, I feel out of place here. But it's like, these are your people. They yeah. just have the same color as you. Yeah, exactly. So you're people? right. I feel like there's so much that, di- I mean, we talk about it all the time. There's so much diversity in Latin America. Yeah. Like, I know, like, 
you know, sorry guys, I like, I'm obsessed with like the pageants. So I know like with Miss Universe, like, you know, Puerto Rico, uh, Miss Puerto Rico got really, really close. She was um, the first runner up. So she almost got it. And she came out with article because, you know, the news hit that, you know, she doesn't speak Spanish. Oh yeah, I heard of that. Yeah, <laughs> and, and that she looks very white. And mm -hmm. then she came out, I thought with the coolest quote ever, she was just saying like basically, is either you're too black or is either you're too white. Well, it's either you're not. Anyway. Yeah, it's like, or you're not this, or you do that. And it's like, what the heck divides, you know, what does, what defines being um, Latino? And I think the main thing she says is that my heart and my blood cries and pours for Puerto exactly. Rico. And that's why I miss Puerto Rico. I'm thinking none of these other things matter. They so, don't. Yeah. I thought it is whatever you embrace. Exactly. I, com I, I completely agree. I think it doesn't matter, but you know, some people, what can you do, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, and I was saying like, when we go out, Eliza and I like, go out a lot, we have to beg sometimes for them to play one song. And they put a little sorry, What? I hate it when they do that. I hate when they do that. Gasoline. Can you Gasolina, always, always. But I'm like, hey, can you play J Bob and Ozuna? Like Bad Bunny? And they're like, yeah, 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 I will, I will. And then they never play it. Or you look forward to that one moment where they play that one song. And you're like, yeah, I know it. Um, This place, Caribbean Social, I love it. It's so close to me. I live in Brooklyn now. And. You go there and it's all type of music, all types of ages. As we well. like have to bring Annabelle. We have I'm to bring you. She opened us. She opened us to uptown. We need you to will love it. Okay. You will love it. And it's also what I thought was pretty cool is also a mix of hipster people. I mean, if you are white and you go there, you will feel welcomed. Like I'm yes. not saying that they didn't feel welcomed or anything. It's just how you feel if you're open to it. You can go there and you can be not Hispanic, Latino, but love the music and be completely fine. Well, I mean, we go to their places and we yeah. don't say like, "Oh, we fly." Oh yeah, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. We go to like I've gone to like you know these brunches downtown, these spots in the West Village and stuff. Yeah. I'm like, okay, you can't even hear the music because other people are talking. Yeah. I'll tell you, go, you can't hear the people because the music's loud enough. And we don't complain. We're no. just like, you know. But I think I think Christina made a good point. She said there were people there that you know were hipster and like yeah. white, yeah. but they were there because they were open. It had nothing to do with exactly. the color of your skin. It has nothing to do where you're from. It's about are you open to embrace this new culture, like a culture that you know you may not be familiar with. Some people are, some people aren't. Well, you want to learn? But, yeah, I feel like that's, like, the main thing. I know I'm always open to new cultures. Like, I'll determine yeah, later on if it's a fit, if I want to keep going to that, like, bar or club. But, you know, I always like to be open, try mm -hmm. new things. At least for that one moment. Um, and you also find a little abuelita in the back. She owns the place. I, like, <laughs> oh, that's looked a lot. Up, I looked up. I don't know, it's like a sala. It's a so sala. funny. Puerto Rican sala. It's, like, her frames of, like, family, everything all around. There's a couch over And there. the beers are only three. Oh guys. yeah, three dollar Coronas and the Budweiser is like two or something. Two dollar, five dollar yeah. drinks. They have. That's what, that's what the hipsters right there, the Budweiser. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And I, I love this place. Like, I love this place. Um, and I think mixed drinks are like five or six. Yeah, and that's if you cool. guys, I mean, I looked at, I was very interested in it, so I looked it up on YouTube. There's actually like a, a little video like a, about her and when it started and everything, so you guys can look that up. Um, but also the reviews on Yelp. There is a person who said he moved from. Puerto Rico to New York after, after the hurricane. Maria. Yeah. And that he kind of felt lonely. He was like, I was really upset because I couldn't find like a place that was yeah, my by. And then someone told him about this place. He went there. He's like, I love it. I'm so happy. I felt like I was in Puerto Rico. The heat because it's very hot in there. Um, so the Yelp reviews are also really great as well. I think they're, it's a really special yeah, place. And, um, I think someone said that there's like, um, it's a historic place. So they will never shut it down. Like a what was it? Like I think he was dragging it. I think he, he, yeah, yeah, he was just like, Yeah, I don't think no, but that's right. the only thing that little bit of a 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 little bit of
don't quote it, but um, we'll see. But yeah, it's really oh nice. God. And um, not as good as Brooklyn has that. That's good. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I feel like for me and you, Annabelle, like we don't think uptown's a gem. Like tell us, we're like, oh yeah, we grew up going. That's not like, regular. Like you know what I'm saying? But, but I think I, that I get it. From the some outside, people do not. Like, from the outside, people have no idea. Yeah, you don't. You know, know like it. they're like, what is that? I literally tell other you know Latinas about it, and they're like, oh, I guess I'll hit it up because they're filling out a place in other places. So. It's nice to you share just, the news. You gotta be open. And you yeah. know, if you're already paying that monthly metro card for your job anyways, you might as well take it. Might as well explore it. No, you're right. Because that metro card is not cheap. I tell people that all the time. They're like scared to go more up. And I'm like, it's fine, guys. You'll nothing, be okay. Nothing's gonna happen. Unless you're acting up out there, nothing's gonna happen. If you don't bother nobody, nobody's bothering you. So hopefully this can encourage more of you to go out Where there. was that place that you said that was great in the summertime to hang out uptown? La Marina? I think it was La Marina. I think it closed down last summer. They closed down. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was still open though. Last summer it was open. You said that there was a lot of like art on the walls. I can't remember. A lot of art on the wall. I don't know. I feel like that's every, I mean, there's. Or maybe that is. You got, made it, you got made in Mexico. You have mm-hmm. um, Mama Juana. You have. Oh! It was a little wine bar. It was called. Well, I the one on the strip on Bakeman. Yes, yes. Yeah. I pop know. And pour. Pop and pour. Pop and pour. Yes. Pop and pour was nice. Okay. Um, but um, we can be here all day. Yeah. It's so much. I actually would include some in the show notes. Okay. I would say when the summertime hits, just take a tour up there, like hit the strip. So many stuff. Walk down Bakeman. So we talked about a ton of things today. We talked about your culture. We talked about growing up in Manhattan, Upper West Side, and also where you're always hanging out uptown, and you know, of course bringing a Latina sorority to a majority white campus. So one thing I wanted to ask you is, what is one thing that people do not know about your culture that you wish they would or wish they did? I think one thing that people don't know about our culture, and it comes from, like, everything we've spoken about today, the whole, like, you know, towards being here in New York aspect, all that, is the impact that we've made in New York. I feel like when people think about, you know, like Latinos and then like Jamaicans specifically, they have a very stereotypical view. It's like we're loud, we smoke in the hookah, we're partying and all that. But we actually have a lot of like different pockets that we're in. We're in politics, we're in like, we have a lot of business owners. We have a lot of influential people that make moves in Manhattan and in New York in general that people don't really know about. So I feel like people need to open their eyes more that being a Dominican is a movement over here. Like, actually, one of my own sorority sisters, she's in politics, um, Marisol Alcantara, you know, like, and then we have, like, a Dominican, um, what is he, a congressman, Adriano Espaillat, and, like, stuff like that. People need to know that Dominicans, we're a force to be reckoned with, we're about to be the biggest demographic of Latinos, I think, in New York, and we're not already. Wow. So. Awesome. So, thank yeah. you so much, Annabelle, for being here today. Thanks so much. <laughs> it was so fun chatting with thank you. me. Thanks so much for listening, guys. Um, If you guys have any questions or you guys have any advice on what we should be talking about next, definitely let us know and make sure to subscribe. We love hearing from you guys. Our Instagram is at Latino Without Borders. We'll talk to you guys next week. Bye. Bye.